want to invite you to have a seat. And as you're sitting down, I want to dismiss Hubtown Kids. Hubtown Kids are going to be learning this lesson today, that God is gracious. God is gracious. Many of you know that already. You've tasted and seen that. And as the kids are leaving, if you believe that God is gracious, what they'll be learning today is true, then would you say aloud, amen? Amen. Yeah. God shows favor to the undeserving. He shows favor to the undeserving. What a great truth for us today. I want to tell you the story this morning of two folks traveling to New York City at Christmas time and both of them losing their phones. You've been there before. And some of you were actually more relaxed when you realized you didn't have to worry about that brick that is always tied to your hand. But for these two individuals, it necessarily, wasn't necessarily the same. In fact, one of them, as they entered into that great park, thought, I wish I had my phone with me right now so that I could take a picture. And instead of being able to enjoy all of the beauties that that Central Park had to offer, they were fretting over their lost phone. Had they left it in the taxi? Was it back at the hotel? More than likely, somebody now had already pickpocketed them and sold it on the black market, never to be seen again. And so then as they began to share a meal that afternoon, instead of enjoying the meal, the one was totally unable to do so. Why could they not enjoy? Because the whole time they weren't just thinking about the cost of that meal, that famous New York slice of pizza. You know the place, Sbarro. Instead of being able to enjoy that slice of pizza, instead they were worried about the incredible cost of replacing that phone. And here it being Christmas, how could they afford to do all of the things that they had planned for their loved ones and family, and on top of that, replace this much-needed device? Throughout the day, they were unable to have a good time, unable to really enjoy why they were there because the whole time they worried about this lost cell phone. Interestingly, as they got back to the hotel, they realized that the front desk actually had the one's phone. You see, they had gotten out of the, they'd been picked up by a taxi there at the hotel, and when they had gotten out, the taxi cab driver realized what had been left behind, and so and a good, a good uh, kind-hearted person, especially there at Christmas, decided he would return that back. So he returned it there. The hotel had it the entire day, unable to let them know because cell phones would be the way that they would have done that. And so here this whole day was almost wasted for the one because they didn't have their phone. And they thought it was lost forever. Everything lost Everything wasted that day. But what about the second person? Well, you say, well, you've not said much about them. That's true. Well, it's interesting. They never fretted one time. They never worried at all. Never thought about replacement costs. Never thought about emergency calls. Never thought about missing a a call from a loved one or a family member who was in need. Never even thought about taking a picture. And the reality is they never even realized that they too had lost their phone. You see, the whole time, the whole day, while the one was panicking over knowing they had lost their phone, the other was not panicking because they didn't realize they hadn't lost their phone. Well, what's the point of this story? The realization that he didn't have his phone all day, but he didn't think about it, was a great relief for him. I wonder how many of us are in a similar place today. Some of us, we don't have everything that we think that we need, and we worry about certain things that haven't even taken place, bad things maybe. Maybe we worry about a loss of a job, a loss of income, a loss of a family member, or maybe we actually mourn those sorts of things in this season. And because of our mourning, we're Because of our worry, we're so unable to actually celebrate the things that we have right in front of us. We worry about the dangers of what might happen. 
And we forget about the promises of what is certain to happen. And these promises being so much greater. Maybe you've been in a situation like that and it's not your phone. Maybe it's something far more serious today. I think our brother Abram can relate. I think our brother Abram can relate. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 12. And if you have your copy of God's word, I invite you to turn there. If you're using the hard black Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 10 at the very beginning of the, of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, the book of Genesis, the name literally means book of beginnings or beginnings. So there at the beginning of the Bible, chapter 12, page number 10, we read last week about the call of Abram. And if you look at the call of Abram, I'm not sure if your Bible has headings there, but my, mine on chapter 12 says the call of Abram. And then at the end of it, it says, or, or halfway down the page there, verse 10, it says, Abram and Sarai in Egypt. So there's a famine. This is what's taking place in between the promises and the text that we looked at. Abram and Sarai, they had experienced a famine in the land, and they had to leave the land that God called them to be in and go down to Egypt, which is actually treacherous for many reasons. Some of it's accounted right here. He is afraid there at the end of chapter 12 that if he's not very, very careful and very, very sneaky, that Pharaoh would actually take his wife for his own. So he's got to manipulate and do this. And God's just told him, hey, you and Sarai, you're going to have a kid. It's very, very real. You're going to have a kid, and I'm going to make you a, a great name, great nation. I'm going to give you the land. And very soon after that, all these difficult things happen. Then in chapter 13, you might see in your Bible a, a heading. Again, these aren't inspired. These are added just as tools afterwards. Abram and, and Lot separate. Well, how do they separate? Well, Abram looks over this great land and says, hey, uh, you know what? We're going to have to separate out because your people, or you're just getting too big of a party. Lot's his, his nephew, and, and my party's a little bit too big, and we're fighting. The families are just getting too big. The herds are too big. We need to separate out. And Abram says, hey, I tell you what, you pick the best part of the land. And as was the custom in this day, Abram is deferential to the, to the lesser and the lesser says, no, 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 you pick the best land, you take the best. And Abram is supposed to do it one more time. And so he says, no, 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 you pick the best land. And Lot, again, is supposed to be deferential one more time. And this time he says, nah, okay, okay, fine, if you insist, I'll go ahead and take it. And he takes the best land and he gives the poor land to Abram. And this is taking place. Really, the promise of God has just been given to him not long before. And since that promise, nothing's changed. Things have increasingly become more and more difficult. Even to the point that Abram, Lot's nephew, gets caught up in a terrible affair and is stolen away by some marauding kings. And Abram, risking his own life, risking his own family, chases these kings down, chases these parties down. In chapter 14, you'll see Abram rescues Lot. He puts his own family, his own livelihood at risk, and he goes and rescues Lot. And on the heels of this battle, what takes place? Well, God comes to him in chapter 15. God comes to him again. And what's the context of 15 there? Well, we see if we summarize everything that's happened from 12 all the way up, 10 years have gone by. Ten years, and almost nothing has changed from the original time that God came to Abram. Very little has changed. Abram and Lot, they do their thing. Abram doesn't get the best piece of land. Abram rescues Lot in a small war, could have easily died. On top of all that, he's now made enemies of the neighboring nations, some of them. And on top of all that, he still has no children. There's so many good things happening and happening in Abram's life, and yet Abram can see none of those things. At least he's tempted to. And again, we can relate. We've been there. Sometimes we let the things that we don't have crowd out the things that we do. 
The certainty of what God has promised is often forgotten by the uncertainty of the bad things that we fear. That's sort of the context of Genesis chapter 15. So let's look at it together. Now we're on page 12 of that pew Bible there. We'll start in verse number 1 and we'll read to verse 8. And these verses will be on the screen for you this morning if you want to follow along there. This is what God's word says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer from Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, we just stop now and we ask again that you be with us. Would you guide our hearts and minds? Would you help us to to hear from you? Father, we know that you intend by the power of your spirit and your word working together to draw us in closer today to show us what we need to know, what we need to continue believing, and where you'd have us to change, to walk with you more closely. Father, that's our hope, that's our prayer, and we ask all of these things. We believe that they'll be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, I know that all of us struggle in similar ways. It's part of our human condition, our fallen human condition, that so often all we can see is what we don't have. All we can see is the danger and not the safety. All we can see often are the obstacles and not the wide open path that God has given to us. And really, instead of trusting the promises, we worry about the trivial. Think of that. Instead of trusting the promises, we worry about the trivial. And where that reality is confronted by this text, that's the main idea this morning. And so, Up on the screen, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down, really to meditate on this throughout the week, even with your life group. Christians can overcome fear by focusing on God's promises and trusting in his character. Christians can overcome fear by focusing on God's promises and trusting in his character we will see that this bent that we all have to worry about the trivial and forget about the promises is going to be addressed there. And sort of to give you signposts along the way, I'll give you three main points that we'll use to walk through the text this morning. The first is that we should be patient through the obstacles. Be patient through the obstacles. Move on from the obstacles to number two, Remain focused on the promises. Remain focused on the promises. And finally, keep trusting in his character. And so those are our three main signposts along the way so that you can follow along as we look at God's word together. Let's jump into the first one. Be patient through the obstacles. Again, we often read passages like Genesis 15, and we see that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's a wonderful passage that has such a beautiful 
implication for us. As children of faith, we too, like Father Abraham, need to believe God. And as we believe the promises of God, it is, in fact, counted to us as righteousness. But I also want you to notice, not Abraham's faith, but I want you to notice Abraham's question. Some of us, we want to be like Abraham, and certainly in many ways we are. And not just in the matter of faith. Look at verse 2. Abraham says, God, I know you've promised me these things. And I know what you just said that I'm not to fear. But God, what are you going to do about this? Ten years have passed and, and I continue childless. And the heir of my house is somebody not even related to me. It's my servant. Is he really going to inherit everything? Is, is this what you meant by the promises, God? All I can see right now is just an obstacle. All I can see is time and waiting. God renews his promise, and he says, Abram, step outside, step outside. Look to the sky. Do you see all the stars? Brother, believe me, your children, your descendants, your heir, oh, it, it's going to be as, as numerous as this. And look at verse 8. There's another question. There's another obstacle in, in Abram's mind. He says, God, you told me that you're going to give me all these people, but if you gave me all these people, where would you put all these people? Look, look Lot and I, we can't even get along, and we have so few. It doesn't seem like there's enough property that we have access to. So how, how am I to know How can I know for sure that I'll possess it? I possess so little right now. And again, what I possess is the worst of it. You might be asking this morning, as I go through life, as I walk through my own life, am I to ignore the obstacles and pretend that I don't see them at all? Maybe like we imagine Abram to have done. And that's not what we should do today. Should we ignore the obstacles that we face, the difficulties that we face? No, we need to recognize something, though. The first point will be very brief. We've got to be patient through the obstacles, and one of the ways that we can be helped to become patient is to recognize this, that humans tend toward fear, humans tend toward anxiety, because we are hindered visually in at least three ways. And these won't be on the screen. If you want to take notes, I'll, I'll say them briefly at the beginning and then we'll walk through them. We're hindered in at least three ways. The first is this, chronologically. The second, geographically. And the third, because we need an alley, myopically. And so chronologically. When we consider the promises of God and we see the obstacles in our way, we have to remember that we, in our sight, and as we gather information through our senses, are limited chronologically. All we know about time experientially is, well, what we're experiencing in this exact moment right now. We can't see or experience what took place just a few moments even before we were born. And we certainly can't experience or, or know what will take place 10 minutes from now. If you think about the promise that's given to Eve there in Genesis 3, the promise given to the serpent as well, that Eve will bear a child, and that child, that descendant of Eve, it will literally crush the head of Satan. That was given so long before the time of Abraham, the time of Abram. And really, it's not until Luke 2 that that promise is fulfilled. Most theologians argue that that's at least 4,000 years 4,000 years. Chronologically, we're limited by that. 
4,000 years seems like an eternity, and yet it's a drop in the bucket in comparison to eternity. While we experience 4,000 years like 4,000 years, the scriptures tell us that a day with the Lord is as 4,000 years, or 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is as like a day. And the point is to help us understand that God is not bound in the same way that we are. God is not bound by time. He's not bound chronologically. He can see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And yet all we can see is what's taking place here in this time at this particular point. For Abram, he's bound. He's saying, I could just see the last 10 years. And the reality is, God, I don't see a whole lot of movement right now. But he's not just bound chronologically. We're not just bound chronologically, we're also bound geographically. We're also bound geographically. He couldn't see what's taking place in other parts of the world. He can't see what's taking place there from Jerusalem, what's taking place in Babylon. Think of that. Think of the time where the people of God were displaced from their land. Many of them suffering, longing for the promise of God. And there in Jerusalem, they are unable, quite literally, to know what's taking place in Babylon as Nehemiah approaches the king. He can't see what's happening in the other parts of the world. It's one of the reasons why I love to travel missions. One of the reasons why I love to talk with brothers from, and sisters from all over the world who come back and give reports of what God's doing, because sometimes I can get a little discouraged of what's taking place here in Hagerstown. Well, I mean, what's taking place here in Hagerstown Church even sometimes? God, why aren't you moving like we had hoped? Why aren't you fulfilling the promise that we've been asking for? Why aren't you answering the prayer that this body has been asking for on a regular basis? Coming back from India, it was so encouraging to see that so many of the prayer requests that we've prayed even in this room, large groups, small groups, praying for God's blessing, able to come back and report to you that God is doing some incredible things in India amongst the Christians there, the churches there, as they go and preach the gospel. And so many of us, we are bound geographically, unable to see what's taking place. Some of us even at times bedridden, unable to get out of our homes and, and, and off the couch for various reasons. And in those ways, we may be tempted to think that God is not being faithful to his promises. All we can see is, well, nothing. Chronologically, we are hindered. Geographically, we are hindered. And myopically, we're hindered. It's a simple reality that though I can see your eyes, I can't see through your eyes. Each of us are born naturally depending and gathering information through our own eyes. Unable to see what's taking place, the perspective of those around us, and even more importantly, the perspective of God. We look and see God. It doesn't see, I can't see from this level, from this vantage point, much of anything that you're doing. It doesn't seem as though you're working to answer and fulfill the promises that you've given to me, Abram says. And yet if you think of the work that God is doing, it's much like that of a Rubik's Cube, only much, much greater. I don't know much in life about algorithms, but I know that's a cool word. And if you want to solve a Rubik's Cube, you have, you have to know some algorithms, and there's some steps that you take. The first step that you take on a Rubik's Cube is you make sure that the top layer is fixed, that all the whites are all lined up and on the sides of that top layer, they're all in order and in line. And that's pretty simple work. If you're trying to solve the Rubik's Cube by following the tutorial that you're watching there on YouTube, you might feel pretty confident that you've got that first little bit down and you might even try to hold it in such a way that the people that are watching you are very impressed that you've solved that top layer. But as you begin to work your way down the Rubik's Cube to the second, and third layer, you know this, if you've ever done it before, you know that things begin to get a lot worse before they get any better. There's three points of, of, of turning, three axes there. There's turning this way, turning this way, and turning this way. 
And we might think from our perspective, if we're just one part of that cube that's solved there in the white, this is the right place. We're in the right spot. And then suddenly things begin to change and shift. And you think, God, what, what's happening in life? It doesn't seem as though you're really able to fulfill the promise. It doesn't seem like things are going in the right direction. And although God, the work that he does in this universe as he controls providentially, sovereignly, it's much more complex than that of a Rubik's Cube. The reality is, it's very similar. We can only see a small piece of it. And so as we consider the obstacles in our life, the things in our way, maybe the long periods of time that we wait, or maybe the strange turns and twists that we encounter, we need to remember that we have a limited view of what God is doing. By way of illustration, just look at chapter 15. Look down at verse 13 and following. It says there, during this time that God is making this covenant to a, even taking it to another level there with Abram and illustrating it with this sacrifice, he says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. This is God telling Abram, he says, hey, your descendants they're going to be incredible in number. And Abram's like, ah, that's so hard for me to believe. But, but I'm trusting you. I believe you. And God says, and I want you to know something. There's going to come a point in, in the life of your people, of your great nation, of your descendants, that they're actually going to become slaves of another nation. This is speaking of the time that God's people, the Israelites, are servants, slaves in Egypt. But he says, and afterward, they'll come out with great possessions. Imagine being Abram there, and you're like, what? where was that piece of information last week? What was all that talk about a great nation? Now I've waited for 10 years, and on top of that, you're telling me that my people are going to wait 400 years? And he says, and then you'll let them come out with great possession? Well, Abram can only, again, he can only see one vantage point. And what I think is really interesting, this illustrates the, 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 the closed-mindedness or the, the simple-mindedness of, of us humans, is look in verse 16. It says, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You think about it, you say, well, God, what are you, why are you moving this piece that way? And it seems as though you're really messing up things in my plan. You're really messing up the things that you've promised me. You're really taking your time here. I love the fact that he includes here that the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And for most of us, we're thinking, number one, what does iniquity mean? Number two, who are the Amorites? We're not going to get into all of that today, but I want you to see something. There's a really good lesson in that one verse, verse 16. And the lesson is that God is doing something, not just in your life, but he's doing something in other people's lives too. God's not just working today, but he was working yesterday, and he was working 4,000 years ago. And if the Lord tarries, he'll be working for, long, long, for a long, long time into the future. And not only does God not, is, is he considering all of time, but he's considering all of this world, all of the nations, all of the people, and both sides of this promise that God gave to Abram in chapter 12, both the blessing side and the cursing side, both the good promises and the promises of judgment, all of these things God is working together. And so as we consider the obstacles in our life, obstacles like waiting time, obstacles like a loss or a lack, remember that you can only see a small piece and that God is working all things together 
for good. The second piece I want you to think about this morning that will help us to, as we, as we address this idea, I think it might be getting worse. As we address this idea, should I just grab this microphone? I want to do that. I don't know that I've ever preached holding a microphone. I've been so spoiled. You'll have to stick with me. Yeah, one of you can just come up here and hold it for me. Talk about obstacles in our life. The obstacles are there. Each of us are facing them. Each of us are going through them, and especially in this Christmas season, as the things that we want are so clear and present in front of us, and we reach out for them. And yet, as we wait, as we long, we have to not just notice the obstacles, but we have to remain focused on what's been promised to us. Remember what has been promised to us. What had been promised to Abraham, or what had been promised to Abram, Do you remember the promises that he had made there in chapter 12? The promises that he renews and expands upon in chapter 15. Great nation. Nations would come out of him in chapter 17. Literally, you'll not just have a great nation, but many nations will come out of you. Many kings will come out of you. Obviously, you'll, you'll have a child there in chapter 15. He's like, no, it won't be like some sort of adoption situation. Nothing wrong with adoption. I love adoption. God loves adoption. But God's like, that's not going to be what's taking place here. Your heir, your child will do this. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to protect them. And those people who don't care for the promises that I'm giving to you right now and don't care for you, I'll take care of them. You don't worry. And a matter of fact, there's going to be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing in a real substantial way to every family in the entire world, to every people group in the entire world and all of time. These are the promises that are given given to Abram. And what is he going to have to do? Well, he's going to have to remember these promises and believe them. I think about Exodus chapter 14. If you have your Bible with you, just swap over to Exodus 14. Exodus is the very next book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to be looking particularly at verses 10 to 14. Verses 10 to 14. I want to make a connection here between what we are reading in Genesis 15 and Exodus 14. So there's a lot of time that's gone by. Several generations have passed. As a matter of fact, even now, the prophecy, the promise that God had given to Abram in chapter 15 is being fulfilled in Exodus 14 right here. God says to Abram, hey, you're going to be, your people are going to be slaves, but I'm going to deliver them, and they're going to come into the land, and they're going to possess the land. Now, sometimes going to take place, but it's going to happen. Well, literally, 400 years have passed. And here we are in chapter 10, or or chapter 14, verse 10. All of the plagues have taken place. God has indeed set his people free, raised up a deliverer. They're there on the edge of this great sea. But now they're pinned in. They're pinned in. Pharaoh has let them go, but now he's changed his mind. And he'll take them back. That's his intention anyway. And so with Pharaoh's entire army bearing down on them, let's pick up in verse 10. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they greatly feared. Imagine that. Imagine this great fear. It's not too different from the fear that Abraham's experiencing back in chapter 15, and maybe not that different from the fear that you've experienced even recently. Maybe even this week. Maybe even now. It says, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Why were they crying out? Why were they afraid? Because all they could see in that moment was the obstacles in their way. This great sea. This incredible army. They said to Moses there in verse 11, it's because, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? I love that question. It's a bit snarky. 
What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. And now you've gotten our hopes up. We've gone through this incredible journey and now it's all going to end with many of us getting slaughtered and the rest of us getting taken back. I wish we would have just stayed there. It would have been better, it says, they say, for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Then look at verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. That's an incredible story. It's an incredible story, and it's a story that we reenact in some way all the time. Just like the Egyptians, we are standing there in a dangerous place, and instead of considering the promises of God, all we can see is the obstacles. If you think about it, 400 years ago, God promised them, hey, if you ever find yourself right at the edge of the Red Sea, and there's an army bearing down on you, and you think total annihilation is imminent, I want you to remember this. I'm promising you 400 years earlier than that, 10 years earlier than that, that you will not die and that you will possess the land. You will make it. The name of Abraham, the name of Israel, the Hebrews, they won't be wiped out on this day. As a matter of fact, the promise is for you that you'll never see these Egyptians again. Never again. You know the rest of the story. God opens that sea, even to the point that Moses and Abraham's descendants walk across dry land. And as they exit that great gulf and Pharaoh's army comes in, they are totally annihilated. Totally. There's a danger this morning that all you can see is the, the prayers that have not been answered. Oh, that all you can see today is the, 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 the promises that you haven't yet experienced the fulfillment of yet. And what does Moses say? He says, stand still and remember the promises of God. Stand still. You know, I think that in that moment, God gave Moses a special word. I think that he did. He did. But he didn't even need a special word in that moment. Why? Because he had already promised them that they would see the land. That they wouldn't be wiped out. What did they need to do? They needed to focus on the promises. I want to talk just for a moment about the promises that God has made us and the promises that he has not made us that sometimes we get confused. What has God not promised you that for whatever reason, maybe through poor teaching or just cultural references and general understanding that you believe God's promised you, but he hasn't actually promised you. I know when I was a kid, I thought it was white Christmases, right? <laughs> just by raise of anybody here, uh, when you were a kid, just think it, it snows on Christmas. That's what's supposed to happen. When it doesn't happen, something's wrong. Am I the only person that watched a lot of Hallmark and stuff as a kid? Well, that's a funny one. That's an easy one, right? We, we like white Christmases, but God never promised those things. What about relationships without pain? What about relationships without pain? Relationships without arguments or difficulties or struggles? What about speaking physically, life without death? Anybody here sort of like get lulled into this idea that this whole thing that we're doing right now is going to keep going on forever. That you'll always have your, your health. You'll always have your family. You'll always have Christmases. Another one will be coming next year. If you didn't get what you want this year, you'll get it next year, right? Any of us sort of like get lulled into that? And then we get snapped out of it and we realize that 
No, 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 no. God never promised those things. He, he never promised white Christmases. He never promised relationships without pain. He never promised life without death. He also never promised that we wouldn't experience suffering. He actually told us the exact opposite. Both in the book of Acts, the book of Romans, throughout the New Testament, we're, we're, we're promised these things. In the book of Philippians, we'll look at a passage here in just a moment. God promises, not that we won't experience suffering, but that we will. Jesus promised that we would experience persecution. And so many of us, we, we're tempted to think that if we are being persecuted, that we're doing something wrong, when the reality is if you're being persecuted, the chances are there's good chance that you're actually doing something right. God never promised those things. He never promised us financial blessing to the point that, that we would be uh, rich beyond measure, and that's what so many of us want. He never promised that there wouldn't be relational disintegration. These things are not what God promised. And remember, what did God even there promise in chapter 15? Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners. That's not so bad. That's not so bad. Sojourners, I can handle that. And there'll be servants there. Okay, wait, 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 wait a minute. What? Chapter, what was all that chapter 12 talk? What's all that chapter 17 talk? We're going to be slaves for 400 years? How many lifetimes? What? These are the sort of things that God has promised. Furthermore, what has he promised? He promised that he'll never leave us. Isn't that a wonderful reality that we can trust that promise right now at Christmas time? There's so many lovely songs out there at Christmas time, in addition to the ones that we sing here Christmas carol, beautiful Christmas carols, true Christmas carols. There's so many other ones that we hear on the radio all the time, and many of them are all about happiness and joy, and uh, all I want for Christmas is you, and these sorts of things. And while for some of us, Christmas time is a sweet and special time, and relationships and family. For many of us, we are reminded of the time that we were left by our father or our mother when we were young. And we didn't have somebody in our lives that we needed. Maybe Christmas time for you is not a time that you think about the divorce of your parents, but maybe Christmas time is a time that you think about the loss of your grandmother. And while she wanted to be here with you right now, she's, she's passed. She's, she's gone on to be with the Lord. But you still wish that she was here right now. Maybe that's what you think of at Christmas time. And that's a painful reality. And what, what sort of promise do we have from God as it relates and connects with never being left? Well, he says, I will never leave you. I'll never die. I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you fatherless or without what you need. Furthermore, what has he promised? He says, I'll, I'll work all these things out for your good. Every single one of them. And you say, God, how can you turn the Rubik's Cube in a way? It seems like you're, you're messing things up. And God says, no, just be patient. All of these things that are taking place in your life, I'm actually working out for your good and for my glory. And it's going to be amazing. That's a promise that he's made. Maybe you're right up against the Red Sea right now at Christmas time, and you're worried about finances, and you're worried about relationships, and you're remembering all the pain that you've experienced in the past, and you're reliving that right now in the present, and you're worried about losses in the future, and God is saying to you, I'll never leave you. I'll work all these things together for your good. Furthermore, I will return for you, and we'll have joy forevermore. These are the promises that we have today, Christian. These are the promises that we have. Now, before we go on to this third and final point, I just want to park here for a minute and consider the promises of God. There's this theme throughout the scriptures. There's a command, and it says, fear not. There's no prize here, but there's a, maybe you know. How many times does the scripture say, fear not? It's a lot. It's a lot. The winter, the winter's 365, Right? They say one for each day of, of, of the, the year. Now, who's that promise being made to? I want you to catch this. Who's that promise being made to in chapter 15? It's being made to Abram. Who's that promise being made to in chapter 14 of Exodus? It's being made to Moses and the Hebrews there. Let me ask you something. Is that promise for everybody in that story? As the Egyptians are barreling down without fear, no fear, is that promise also for them that they should not fear? 
No, the reality is, who, what should they be doing right now? They should not be fearless. They should be fearful. Why? Because the promise of God is that if you come against God's people and you curse them, you yourself will be cursed. That's a promise, right? And we have to be really careful when we look at the scriptures and we just assume that all of the promises of God are yes and amen for everybody, regardless of whether you truly believe them. Abram had no reason to fear. Why? Because he believed God. That this promise being made to Abram was true. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, but I'd imagine in a group this size that there are folks here this morning that say, I, I just don't know if I believe any of this stuff. And I'm just not going to fear. Well, here's the reality. That promise is not for you. That command is not for you. If, if you truly don't, if you've never placed your faith in the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, then you actually have something to fear. But the other side of that is if you are trusting in Jesus today, believing that what Romans 15, 8 says about the promises of God to Abram being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that all the nations being blessed through Abram in Christ and those who place their faith in Christ will be blessed, then you have no reason to fear. you gotta, you got to ask yourself, which which side are you on in a sense? Are you on the side of faith in the provision of God in the person of Christ, taking away the sins of the world, which is what Christmas is all about, so celebrating that, the coming of the one who would take away our sins and restore our relationship to God? Or are you on the other side saying, I, I'm going to rebel against God. I'm not going to do what God said. I'm not going to turn to Christ I'll receive forgiveness my own way. I need to think about that. The promises of God to those who are in Christ is life forevermore. And the promises of God to those who are apart from Christ is his wrath forevermore. Separation from him forevermore. When we think about this Christmas season, remember that God has come to us and the book of John says that to those who received him, to them, to those who accepted the coming of Jesus, to those people he gave the power to become the sons of God. To those who believed on his name. And so in this season there are so many things pressing us. So many things distracting us. So many things calling us to anxiety. So many things calling us to fear. And yes, we're not to ignore those obstacles, but we are to remember the promises of God and to focus on them, which is in fact what Christmas is all about. And as we do that, we need to remember that we're to keep trusting in his character. Keep trusting in his character. Anybody here ever made a promise and then broke it? Oh, hands, some hands went down quickly. I got you. My hand is up. If I could, I'd put both up, but I need to hold the microphone. I've made mistakes. I'm not proud of that. But I've made promises that I've not ended up keeping. Any of us can say that they've, they'll, they'll do this or do that, but will they really fulfill it? I remember one time, receiving a check in the mail. It wasn't, it wasn't here, but a check in the mail for $1 million at a church I was serving at prior. Anybody here have a checkbook and a pen? You know what? You're able to write a million-dollar check. You can do it. Just, just do it. But I would tear it up quickly and destroy it. Why? Because you don't want to get arrested for fraud, right? Physically, we're all able to write that check, but we're not all able to fulfill that. And when you think about God, you say, well, what sort of promises has he made? Well, he's made some not incredible promises, extraordinary. And by the way, I wanted to use incredible last week. But you know what incredible literally means? Unable to be believed. And the promises that God has made are able to be believed, and they are indeed extraordinary. Now, if I wrote you a million-dollar check, that is an incredible gift. It's unbelievable. But God, you can trust his character. 
You can trust that the promises that he has made will, in fact, be fulfilled. And so what are we to do as we enter into this Christmas season with all the tension, all the stress, all the fear, all the pain? We're to remember the promises of God and that he will fulfill his promises. We, for sake of time, and it would be a wonderful study for us to do, but we won't look at all of chapter 15 today. But here in this covenant that God makes with Abram, he tells Abram, he says, hey, I want you to go get some some animals, and I want you to sacrifice them in a certain way. And Some of them are actually cut in half. From nose to tail almost, just cut in half. And they're set, set out, one on this side, one on that side, and there's a pathway to walk between them. And all of these creatures that are brought into this sacrificial covenant are killed. And here's, the, here's, what, here's what happens. The people who would go into this sort of covenant would walk together through this pathway. And there's a lot of things that are being said there, but one of the things that's being said is, if this, ever, if, if, if this covenant and this promise is ever broken, what has happened to these animals should happen to me. So be it. For me, if I don't fulfill this promise. And God has made these incredible, extraordinary promises to Abram. And he promises with his own life, in a sense. I'll keep these. I'll keep these. When it comes down to it, the question is, can you this morning trust in God's character? Well, you certainly can, but are you? Right now, are you trusting in God's character to fulfill these promises that he's made to you? That you too can be blessed in Christ according to the promise that God made to Abraham so long ago. I love what the scriptures say. It'll be on the screen for you this morning. Philippians chapter one. If you've got your copy of God's word, you could, you could certainly turn over there. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 30. The church of Philippi is going through a difficult season. And we won't get into all that. It's not too dissimilar from, if you remember, uh, the, the recipients of the, the letter to the Hebrews. Lots of suffering, lots of loss. Can they really have joy as they follow Christ in this moment? Can they have faith to continue following him? And I love what he The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I love what he says in chapter 1, verse 27 and following. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says, I want to hear that you're continuing unified together, standing firm and fighting. It's really interesting if you contrast Philippians 1 with Exodus 14. There it says, hey, don't fight, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. Here it's very similar. It's, again, don't be afraid, but instead of don't fight, it's saying fight. Be unified, fight together. Don't give up ground. Advance. Advance in victory. And what does it say in verse 28? Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. And he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction and your salvation. Both of these being from God. When you stand firm, believing that God's promise is true, that you are victorious, that you can defeat sin, that you can remain unified, that you can continue to proclaim the gospel, when you stand firm in that and you fight from that, that's a sign to the opponents of God. By the way, those who oppose the people of God, what does it say? Those who curse God's people will be cursed. That's what it's saying here, clear sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation and that from God. Look at verse 29, it says, for it has been granted to you That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. We like that part. Let's stop there. Don't you love the fact that we get to believe in Christ? That's been granted to us. This promise that 
When we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus, it's answered, it's heard. When we walk in the light and we confess our sins, we can know because of the promises of God, the salvation that we've been given in him, that we, can not, we won't be cast aside, we won't be destroyed, we won't need to be embarrassed, we won't need to walk in shame, but we can walk in the light, confess our sins, and receive salvation, forgiveness, cleansing. We like those parts. And he says here, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, and all of those things are encompassed in that, but then it says, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Each of us are facing similar situations like this. Maybe it's in your life group. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your finances. I don't know where it's at. Maybe it's really just in your mind, a battle of the mind. We have a choice to make today. And as individuals and even as a church, are we going to cower and be distracted by all the obstacles in our way? All of the difficulties, all of the the negatives, all of the the turning of the Rubik's Cube that appears to be messing everything up. Or are you going to continue to focus on the promises of God and to trust in the character of God? Notice that that's what what God's saying. That's what he's saying. He comes comes to Abram and he says, hey, I know you're afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm your God. I'm with you. I am your shield. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. I love it. He says, I am. And I've made these promises. And then Abraham says, but, but, but God, I need to know something about your character. Can you tell me something about your character? And God says, yeah, I can go into covenant with you. I can promise you this right here. Whatever happens, what's happened to them, let it happen to me if I don't come through for what I've said. Again, we live in a day and age where anxiety and fear is so crippling. So many of us are battling it. And even in our anxiety, there's a promise that God says, I'm with you, and one day, all of these things that you're struggling with, they'll be gone. I'll take all those things from you. One of the promises that I love today is that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. If you're in Christ this morning, there's a reality that right now, you probably have tears. This week, you have tears. Next week, you'll probably have tears. Not tears of joy alone, but tears of sorrow and sadness. And our Lord has given us a promise, and he says, one day I'll return and I'll wipe away every tear from your eye. At Christmas time, at Advent, we celebrate his first coming. His first coming was a fulfillment of the prophecy. He came and he died for our sins. He rose again. He gave us the gospel. He ascended into heaven. Now he makes intercession for us. And he's promised that there's a day that he'll not just have come once, but he'll have come twice. He was with us once, and he'll be with us again in fullness face to face. That's what Christ means. It means God with us. All the promises of God that he gave to Abraham are fulfilled in Christ. And so let's, let's trust in him. Let's trust in the one who has gave us himself. Right before we pray, my final challenge to you this morning is this. Don't let the struggles of this season crowd out your mind of the certain promises of Jesus Christ celebrated at Advent. Let's focus on those promises. And let's trust in his character. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you again for the promises that you've given us in Christ. We're we're thankful for the reality that Christ has come and he's coming again. God, we're thankful for this reality that even though the things that we face in this life may not make sense to us, 
they, they may be discouraging to us. They may take longer than we wanted them to. But we thank you that we can hold fast to your promises because your character is good. You're holy. You're just. You're righteous. And your word is truth. And Father, we celebrate that now. God, we thank you for the provision of Christ where all of these promises were fulfilled. And now at Christmas, we sing and celebrate that we have Christ alone. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for this provision, and we pray in the name of that one provided for us. Jesus, amen.